A couple of weeks ago, we had a healing service here, and I could see that after some time that we had spent together, that some of the, the people who were serving on the front rows, who were elders, were literally moved and feeling burdened by what people were bringing forward for prayer, as well they should be. We're called to bear one another's burdens. It's a real thing. And so it's, a, it's important for us to do that. It's also important for me to be able to see and to hear those stories. I, I can look out. I've been here long enough that I can see the stories, the highs and the lows in our families here in this place. And it's important for me because I want to be able to draw out of the scriptures what connects with you and what connects with me in the way that we're living right now and the things that we're dealing with daily in our lives. We need to be able to find the significance of the meaning of the text for us. And one of the things that strikes me as a question more often than not when it comes to living our faith is this. Does faith and can faith really take us above the circumstances? Can faith lived out the way we're called to live it out? Can it really elevate us above the circumstances? Let's consider that as we look to the Word of God from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting with verse 7 and then picking up with verse 15. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life is at work in us in you. For it is for your sake then, so that grace extends to more and more people, that it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, though our outer, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed daily. For this light And momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison. As we look, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is God's word. Let's pray together. 
Father, would you entrust this word to us that we may trust it, that we may, in fact, shift our weight onto it. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you remember Lawn Chair Larry? Larry Walters? Lawn Chair Larry? He was a truck driver who strapped a bunch of weather balloons to his lawn chair, tethered to his truck, cut the cord, and floated up 15,000 feet with a pellet gun that he was going to use to shoot the balloons one at a time so he could float back down to the ground. Lawn chair Larry. He floated into commercial airspace. Can you imagine the pilot who spotted him? <laughs> Tower. This is Flight 471. I, I see an object here. It's a, uh, it's a lawn chair floating at 15,000 feet. 451, this is Tower. Please return immediately to the airport. And make sure that your co-pilot sees what you're seeing. Lawn chair Larry was asked why he, why he did this. He said, it was just something I always dreamed I needed to do. I just had to do it. I was going to bust. Now, how is it that we float above our circumstances? A lot of times we take matters into our own hands. But I think what we'll see from this passage is the key to living above the circumstances is to travel light. It's to travel light. Let's look at two ways to travel light this morning. First is this. We travel light when we don't put too much weight in ourselves. We don't give ourselves too much weight. In other words, we don't, we don't say, well, I was forgiven once upon a time and, you know, Lord, I'll take things from here. We don't get beyond our need for forgiveness. We don't get beyond a daily need to live as forgiven people. We don't give ourselves too much weight saying, you know, I was forgiven, but now I'm living by my own efforts to try a little harder and a little harder and a little harder. That's to live under the weight of your sin. It's to live under the weight of your brokenness. Don't give yourself too much weight. Live forgiven. This past week, I saw an article on a social media site that I, I have. You know, I've got all the social media. I've got to be out there talking. I mean, you know, people are having conversations out there. People under the, a certain age, that's where they're living. And, you know, there are opportunities for me to engage in those conversations. It's hard because they're taking a lot of time to do this. So much time that, that one woman in particular has hundreds of thousands of Twitter followers. And this is somebody who has a lot of influence. And when she tweets something, there are hundreds of thousands of people that are exposed. And so when I see something like that, sometimes I'm very tempted to weigh in. And in 140 characters or less, I make a very, very fitting argument. 140 characters. Think about that, people. That's about a sentence, okay? 
And here's what I saw this past week. A woman said, how come the Bible is inerrant when it comes to things that conservatives care about, but it's not inerrant when it comes to welcoming the refugees? You've already heard this debate, right? You've been in the middle of it, maybe? Now, I'm not going to talk about which side to be on on that because at this point, that's another one of those issues where we're just reacting to each other, just reacting, reacting, reacting. So she says, how come the Bible is inerrant when it comes to things that conservatives care about, but not when it comes to welcoming refugees? And then she says this, a little tagline, fundamentalism, fundamentalism is so confusing. You see that little dig, that little gotcha, right? Well, I couldn't resist. So I said something. I said back, again, under 40, 140 characters, I said, moralism comes in many forms. You see what's happening there? When judgmental people get judged, be careful, judgers, because you become the judgmental person. Right? <coughs> Nietzsche said, when fighting the dragon, take care that you do not become the dragon. When judgmental people get judged, do the judges become the judgmental? Yes, they do. Why do we do this to each other? Why do we try to one-up each other? Where is the freedom? I think the answer is that a lot of people are looking for power. Power over their own interior. Power over their unforgiven selves. These are people who are Christians who are trying to pick on some other Christians who don't happen to agree with their position on something. And so what do they do? They say, I have the moral high ground. You don't. And I kind of hear it playing in the background. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> and that's the level that we get reduced to as we try to have some kind of civil exchange about important events and ideas. Instead, instead of what Foucault says, Foucault, an old philosopher, he says, every claim to truth is a bid for power. Every truth claim is a bid for power. What's Paul doing? He's relinquishing power. He's demonstrating a power that can only be from God. He says, we are always being given over to death. We're walking around with the death of Jesus. We never forget. We never stray beyond the need for grace. We're living as forgiven people, not for, as people who've overcome the need for forgiveness. But our daily bread is to live by the word forgiven. You pray about your daily bread, don't you? You pray, give us this day our daily bread. We prayed it a minute ago. Do you think of it as a daily need for forgiveness? You see, forgiven people travel light. That was the, the question. How do we live above our circumstances as people of faith? Forgiven people travel light, not moralistic people, not better than you people, not I've got the moral high ground people, but forgiven people. Imagine that whole conversation taking place 
as people who are following what Paul is saying, we're given over to death so that the resurrected life of Christ may shine for your sake. So that this incomparable power may be attributed to God and not to us. How do we make God glorious in and through our lives? Live forgiven. How do we live above the circumstances? Live forgiven. It's a win-win. We get to live as forgiven. And as a result, God gets the credit. That freedom, that freedom to be a broken people and not the moral high ground people, the freedom to be a broken people and not a better than you people. That's what Paul's speaking about in this passage. That's the treasure. It's a deposit of eternity that says God's already done it for you. You see, when we truly live that forgiveness, we live as people who've already received the treasure of heaven. And people say, how does that person so beautifully lay down and take responsibility and say, I'm sorry? How does that person do that? When someone says they're sorry to you or takes responsibility for something they've done, especially if it's personal to you, don't you have the same reaction that I have? I think that's powerful. That's powerful. It's a power beyond us. It's a power beyond human nature. It's a power beyond what we get as our daily dose on Twitter and Facebook. It's to live above the circumstances. It's to travel light. So the first way we travel light, first way we travel light is not to put too much weight on yourself, not to give yourself too much weight. It's to continue to live as people who need forgiveness. The second is this. Don't give this world, this broken world, too much weight. Don't give yourself too much weight because you're still in your brokenness, but you're forgiven. The second way we travel light is don't put too much weight into this broken world. That is to invest in it as though you had no future. In another passage, Paul says, we grieve, but not as people who have no hope. In the same way, we invest in this world, but not as people who believe this world is all we have. We invest in a way that looks to the future. Let me illustrate this. Pete Best. Does that ring a bell? A guy named, named Pete Best. No? Well, he was the man who was almost the drummer for the Beatles. <laughs> Pete Best, he was almost the drummer for the Beatles. How about this one? Harvey Langerman. Does that ring a bell? He was the man who almost bought the first McDonald's franchise. 
he uh, went to his brother, called him up in New York, and he said, hey, listen, there's a great idea out here. They're, they're selling hamburgers, and they're, they're selling these stores so that you can maybe replicate them. And uh, could I borrow $3,000 from you so that I could you know, purchase one of these franchises? And his brother said, you idiot. Nobody's eating hamburgers. The man who was almost Ray Kroc <laughs> was asked about this. The man who was almost Ray Kroc was asked, what do you think now about your life? He said, I think it turned out for the best. What? Someone asked uh, Pete Best, the man who was almost the drummer for the Beatles. Well, what do you think about your life having missed that opportunity? He said, I think my life is happier. I think I've had a happier life apart from the Beatles. And you're thinking, right, right, sure, sure. Convince yourself. But you see, there is a principle at work here. It's a principle that says this world is not our home. It's a principle that says If there's something that hungers within us, a hungering that we have for something that this world cannot satisfy, the obvious answer is that we're created for another world. And when something that we prize is stripped from us and we experience a lighter fleetness of foot as a result, you see That God is calling you to invest in a way that says, this isn't all there is. What you can measure and taste and touch and smell. You see, it's harmful for us. It's harmful to us to invest in this world in a way that makes this world an idol. To put our security in a here and now, in a way that says to us, there's no there and then. You say, Tim, we know that. We understand that. We we get that. That's a principle we, we understand. But here's the thing. The difference is in the doing. Not in the understanding. The difference is in the doing of it. The difference is in shifting one's weight. From a world that cannot satisfy to the promises of God here and now. And to live outwardly in a way that shows people we truly are investing in eternity. We say, well, okay, how do I do that? I just give everything up and become a missionary to India? Well, God actually gives us a way to do it where the part represents the whole. Move this. The part represents the whole. This, uh, the window uh, on our stationery, it, it, it mirrors this window here. It's sort of uh, designed around this beautiful window. And it's the part that symbolizes the whole of the church. And so we understand what it means for a part to represent the whole of us. There's another part that is to represent the whole in Scripture, and it's called a tithe. 
Now Beth and I tithe. We give to this church. We strive with you to answer the same questions, to wrestle with the same questions you wrestle with. And that is, what if we just kind of did a percentage of that percent? How much farther could, what, what could we do with that money? We wrestle with that. We're tempted that way. A Rockefeller whose name is synonymous with Mr. Moneybags, right? Rockefeller. One of the great philanthropists of an earlier golden era. He said this, If I had not tithed my paper route, I would never have tithed my first million. You see, when you see what the fraction is that God calls us to give on a little sum, then you can begin to live in a way that says, even if I kept it all, it would never be enough. It is good for us to give. You see, I I come to you as a fellow struggler in giving. But here's what I've learned. That when I do give, gratitude begins to well up. When I do give, I, I, I send a message to myself through my own lifestyle that says, no matter how much more I have, it will never satisfy in a way that God would have me be satisfied. To invest now in a way that shifts my real weight, the real weight of my trust, onto Him, onto His promises. Today, to cap all this off and to invite us again as families to commit ourselves again in a life of service is Sloan Howard, a chairman of our finance committee and one of the members of session. Sloan. Let me be the first to wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving. Now, this is a great week coming up. Gather together with family and friends. We celebrate all that we are gifted and blessed with. How do we celebrate? We cook a big turkey. Somebody makes a sweet potato casserole, uh, dressing. And we gorge ourselves until we can't keep our eyelids open and we take a nap, watch some football. And the annoying relative that won't stop talking and you have to get up and go leave the room for a few minutes. Come back later. And you do it all over again. Go back for seconds. Today is a real day of thanksgiving. We are giving thanks for what we have been gifted with by our Father in Heaven. We don't own it. None of it. And we're asked to give a piece of it back to Him for the furtherment and the advancement of His kingdom. And so, in just a minute, we're going to ask you to come down, those of you who have brought your pledge cards, your time and talent pledge uh, sheets, and place them in the basket while the hymn is playing. But I want you to think about the contrast between what you'll be doing maybe this coming Thursday and what we're doing this morning. Please join me in prayer.
Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the good gifts that you have given to us. Father, as we recommit ourselves to your church and to your kingdom this morning, we ask that you would bless those pledges, bless our commitments of our time and talents. Father, we are truly grateful and acknowledge that all of it comes from you. In your blessed sons, Jesus' name.